event in our series entitled New Technology and Old Rules, Constructing a Crypto Regulatory Framework. My name is Jennifer Schulp, and I'm the Director of Financial Regulation Studies at the Cato Institute's Center for Monetary and Financial Alternatives. Regulation of cryptocurrency sits at the intersection of multiple regulatory regimes. Crypto can alternately be seen as a commodity, a security, a currency, or something else entirely. And these qualities have left crypto to be regulated by an overlapping and incomplete regulatory framework, drawing criticism from all corners. So how should crypto be regulated and by whom? Today's panel kicks off our consideration of these questions by focusing on the regulation of the Commodities Future Tradings Commission. We're honored to be joined by a distinguished panel with deep experience with the CFTC. We only have an hour, so I'm happy to pass along our microphone to our moderator today, Sarah Wynn, who covers crypto regulation at CQ Roll Call. Sarah? Great, great. And thanks for that, too. Um, we are here, too, with Chris Brummer, a law professor at Georgetown University Law Center, Catherine Cooper, an attorney with Murphy and McGonagall, and Melissa, Melissa Netram, a partner at FS Vector, who is also the director of Lab CFTC, a financial technology hub at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. Also wanted to note as well, if you have any questions, um, please submit those on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube using the hashtag, hashtag CatoEcon, which is a capital C and a capital E for that one. And I don't know too if, if everyone kind of wanted to do opening statements and just to kind of talk about cryptocurrency regulation or where everyone wanted to start, but wanted to see maybe if Chris, if you wanted to kind of start us off of, you know, your thoughts in general and just an opening statement on, on cryptocurrency regulation. You know, I, 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 for whatever reason, I couldn't recall uh, actually the, uh, uh, doing a, an opening statement uh, which which automatically tells you something about crypto because uh, uh, sometimes you can feel a little bit under under fire. But I guess I'll I'll, I'll make a reference to the point that uh, regulating crypto is, shares a lot of uh, sort of common policy questions that one is having with regards to uh, really regulating any new piece of financial technology and, and and innovation. And one of the things that you kind of notice is that when regulators are going about doing their job, they they typically have to make a choice. It, that takes place in something called a trilemma, right? Where they can get maybe two of three different options. One, they try to do things in a way that uh, uh, achieves market integrity. Secondly, they try to do things in ways that at least ideally enables uh, socially viable or, or good or efficient innovation. And then thirdly, they try to do so with clear rules. The question that people are facing is, whether or not it's possible to do all three at any given time. You can go and try to innovate and, and do so with clear rules, but sometimes that's at the price of market integrity. Maybe you can establish or achieve market integrity as well as uh, financial innovation, but then your rules aren't really very clear. They're you know, very, very complex. Or maybe you can have market integrity and clear rules, but that generally takes the form of broad prohibitions that can snuff out financial innovation. So I think that crypto is sort of entering this phase, enter the, entering into this sort of financial uh, sort of or innovation trilemma. Um, and it's going to be very interesting to see legally 
how uh, the financial regulators are trying to sort of navigate this, this set of trade-offs. And that's really interesting too that you bring that up because I think you know lawmakers have been kind of discussing that that tie in between regulating this versus you know innovation and, and been kind of having those ties come in too. So it's it's really interesting too that you bring that up. So thank you. And and wanted to turn now to to Melissa to see too if you had an opening statement by chance too. Sure. Thanks. Thanks to Cato and Jennifer for having us. And it's nice to go after Chris because he took a lot of my points already. Um, <laughs> but I, I think just to add a little bit more to what Chris said, you know, um, as somebody who was in a regulatory agency, sometimes, you know, it's it's hard for regulators to to, to be um, to have the mindset of innovation because you know that's what not that's not what regulators do right uh, we're often confined to the rules of the road it's not like you can go try something and break it and try it again which is often the mindset of tech companies right so so to try to balance the two right where you uh, as a regulator want to promote uh, innovation and responsible innovation as well as help you know define rules of the road um, you know, it's hard to do that when when innovators are very much the of the mindset of let's let's keep trying and innovating and, and, and moving forward. It's also hard when there are financial regulations that are completely, you know, written at a time that don't think about innovation or where things are going. I, I, you know, I, I often refer back to, you know, Dodd-Frank, which was the most comprehensive financial uh, reform bill here in the U.S., um, which was 11 years ago now. Um, at, at the time, crypto um, was just starting <laughs> and, and it wasn't even part of the Dodd-Frank bill, right? So regulation and legislation move a lot slower than innovation does, which is often what the, what the issues are. Um, and I think we'll talk a little bit about them today. Um, when it gets to crypto itself, right, um, I, I think another challenge here is that there are multiple regulators that touch crypto, and it all comes down to how you envision where the crypto falls, right? Is it a payment? Is it a security? Is it a, is it a derivative? And, and, and who, who regulates it? How is it regulated? Should it be regulated? Um, and I know we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but the challenges of, of trying to fit it into a traditional regulatory box are, are kind of where we are right now. And I, I think we're at this tipping point of trying to figure out what comes next. Um, how do we how do we change the the regulation to not only account for everything like Chris has mentioned, right? enabling innovation, but then how do we also ensure that you can continue to protect the markets and continue to protect investors and consumers? Great. So looking forward to that discussion. It'll be great too, to kind of get your insight, you know, too, from like the regulation space and just kind of seeing where do we go here? Um, you know, what is the CFT's role with that too? So it'll be interesting to get your, your take on that too. Um, and then wanted to, to turn it over to Catherine too, to see if, if you had any opening statements as well. Sure, and, and, and thank you to Cato, and, and um, I appreciate the opportunity to, to, to participate today. Now, to, to go to maybe different, a, a slightly different um, uh, perspective, I'm someone who's been in the trenches defending defendants in CFTC and SEC enforcement actions, uh, where they've applied both the Commodity Exchange Act and the uh, Security, uh, Securities Act to uh, my clients and their dealings in cryptocurrencies. So on the CFTC side, um, I, I think the question is really from, from the trenches is, um, 
to borrow from the bard is to use plain meaning or not to use plain meaning, that is the question. And I say that because plain meaning, of course, is all the rave uh, at the Supreme Court these days, that if a statute is clear on its face, you need not go any further into legislative history to try to determine what it means. So the CFTC has been having it kind of both ways. So um, in terms of the section 753 of the Dodd-Frank Act added uh, a new section 6C1, it's entitled Prohibition Against Manipulation, but um, it's actually makes it unlawful for any person to use or employ uh, in connection with any contract of sale of a commodity in interstate commerce, any manipulative or deceptive device. And although senators Cantwell who introduced it and Blanche Lincoln, uh, both in introducing this, this, this language said it was, the purpose of it was to go after manipulation and attempted manipulation. Uh, the CFTC has applied it to mere fraud in the cash markets, in the, the sale of a commodity in interstate commerce, pointing out that the language is, it makes it illegal to use any manipulative or deceptive device. And the Ninth Circuit in a, in a case of CFTC versus Monex has gone for that literal, that literal interpretation that or means or, it doesn't mean and, uh, and no matter what Senators Cantwell and, and Lincoln said on the floor of the Senate when they introduced this language, or means or, it doesn't mean and. So, you know, if, if, if that makes me wonder um, why Congress would have given a broad anti-fraud authority to a small agency, uh, unless there was, there was some um, limiting factor and I've suggested the limiting factor is, is that commodity is a, is a defined term. It's all services, rights, and interests in which contracts for future delivery are presently or in the future dealt in, which means that the, the cash markets over which the CFTC has this broad jurisdiction are limited to cash markets uh, in which that are somehow related to the futures markets and not out of all the hundreds of cryptocurrencies that are trading, uh, only two, I believe at the moment, have futures contracts trading on them, which I would suggest provide some limiting, some and bring some sanity to what, what uh, an interpretation of what the CFTC's current jurisdiction is. Great. Yeah, and, and that too, I think that's that's really great too that you bring that up. And, and maybe I kind of want to start off with you then, Catherine, with talking about, and you, you mentioned this too a bit, but you know, what is the CFTC's then current authority when it comes to regulating cryptocurrency? So in, in their view, uh, all cryptocurrencies are commodities. Um, they, in the most recent decision uh, in a speaking order with, with Tether, which is a, is a issuer of a, of a very large stable coin. Um, they just assert that uh, Tether, which is a US dollar backed, uh, in theory, uh, stable coin, uh, which is designed to track the price of the dollar, is a commodity. Uh, they don't really explain how that is given the definition of a commodity, uh, the plain meaning of which is a service right or interest in which contracts for future delivery are presently or in the future delta, because there are no futures contracts trading on Tether. Um, 
so but th their their position has been since um since i think a coin flip uh speaking order in 2015 is because bitcoin is a commodity which they didn't really explain in coin flip either um therefore all other cryptocurrencies are also commodities it's their position they don't really have much of an explanation for it um other than positions that they've taken in in in, in federal court got it got it and wanted to see too if anyone else kind of had some input too and i know too um commissioner don stomp had kind of offered a little bit of a clarification um uh, was it maybe a month ago or so and she had kind of said you know the cftc regulates derivatives and, and not commodities and just kind of wanted to see too you know if what your guys' thoughts were on that but also too again going back to the question too of the cftc's current authority too when it comes to regulating cryptocurrency so, so we've just gone within a matter of seconds into an extremely complex conversation that with lots of sort of um, uh, sort of turns, you know. So, so maybe, maybe, maybe the best way is a little bit of a of a of a running start. So, for the securities lawyers who are sort of dialed in and who may not be as familiar with you know with with CFTC law, right? You know, the, the basis of you know, the universe for derivatives law kind of revolves around the Commodity Exchange Act, right? And the, the, the Commodity Exchange Act provides basically the CFTC with the authority um, to regulate transactions involving something called commodity interests, right? So first, there's the question of then what is a commodity, right? And then there's this sort of logical jump to say, okay, once you define what a commodity is, what then is a commodity interest, right? Um, now, the, the definition as to what is a, a commodity is in section one. Oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm lapsing into law professor speak. I'm, I hope that my law school students are either like the fact that I'm doing this or are baffled, but that I'm actually doing this again. But um, so if you go through sort of section one of the CEA, right, there's this sort of laundry list of different kinds of things that can constitute a commodity, right? And uh, the running joke is that sort of like everything's a commodity, but like, you know, it's something like onions, which is not exactly a, a joke. Um, and because the, the this definition of what is a commodity is very expansive, when you then tie this question of what is a commodity interest, which is you take a commodity, but you also then put on top of the futures contract, options on futures contracts, swaps, all this other kind of stuff. You kind of get this, this idea of what a commodity interest is. So why is this important? Okay. When you look at the nature of the CFTC's authority, it, 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 it is, it's a little bit weird because it's broken up into different parts and pieces um, as even compared to securities law. And so people tend to look at section one, but they are also looking at something called section six, and then it's implementing provisions of 180.1, right? And to make a very long story short, very, very short, <laughs> is the CFTC can regulate, it's clear that the CFTC can regulate derivatives contracts, usually. Um, but what is unclear is to whether or not the CFTC can regulate a commodity as it's being traded uh, in spot markets, or as I tell my students, on the spot, right? Now, in coin flip, 
this this case um, that was just sort of mentioned, the CFTC just basically said, look, when you look at our laundry list of things that are called a commodity, it's very expansive and Bitcoin is too. And so are all virtual assets, right? So ta-da, surprise, you guys are now commodities, which then raises the question, under what circumstances then can the CFTC exert its regulatory authority, right? And how? Because that how is a huge issue, okay? So the first question of like, when can it exert its authority? There's this ambiguity. And the ambiguity comes up very rightly, as Catherine is saying, in the Dodd-Frank Act, because it, people have sort of these two different interpretations of the Dodd-Frank Act and what it means for the CFTC. One interpretation says, because it does explicitly talk about contracts for sale, which, uh, which basically means the expansive view is to say that the CFTC can now intervene and exercise its anti-fraud authority for any kind of commodity basically trading in a spot market, right? Which would, um, you know, it's like a theory of everything. Like the CFTC can, can literally exert its, 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 its regulatory authority in a very expansive way. And, 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 and that's kind of, if you're gonna look at the, what the words say, that's, that's kind of what the words say, even though the legislative history might say something different. The, 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 the more circumscribed view, right? says, no, 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 no. I mean, little little CFTC, the little engine that could here, it can't possibly be this regulator of any kind of commodity in a spot market. I mean, theoretically, then they could get involved in, you know, if people lie about how many ounces are in a Coca-Cola can, they could, you know, start, start, start regulating there. Instead, the idea is the CFTC can only regulate the derivatives, excuse me, those commodities where there is already an existing derivatives contract that references them, right? So to say, if there's under, if there's fraud in that underlying market, it means it's making the derivatives contracts all wacky. And in order for the CFTC to exercise its jurisdiction, it should have the ability to exercise its anti-fraud authority in order to maintain the integrity of the derivatives that are being traded and that reference it. Okay, so those are two very different different ideas. I will only say that, I guess the counter argument as I argue against myself and is, is to say, well, you know, Dodd-Frank, you have all this, you have the, you know, financial crisis. And so there's this idea that the CFTC should be made this more robust agency. And here's where all the ambiguity comes in. So some people will say, no, 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 look at the words. The words are reflecting the fact that the whole idea is that there are gaps in the market and so the CFTC should be empowered accordingly. Now, the problem of course is that not only is there that sort of ambiguity in the sense of how broad is the power, I almost feel like it's a Supreme Court kind of case law. I forgot the one still working you know, with, with the, how expansive are the powers of the executive? What's well, most expansive when you know Congress or whatever agrees with it or something? You know, here's this kind of like how expensive, expansive and, this, and, 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 and the CFTC is gonna have to grapple with this, how expansive are the powers of the CFTC, where this, particularly in, in, in crypto markets, where there is this sort of fundamental kind of disagreement or, or ambiguity, particularly in those spot markets. And the last little legal thing, and then my, hopefully, because my students don't know where my car is, I can't bring my keys and start to, you know, cut my car, but it's useful for the audience, is even when you then can exercise 
um, anti-fraud authority, right? It, it's not the same thing as saying it's regulated, or is it, right? So you know, what, what you will often hear, in my opinion, incorrectly, is that people will say, oh, crypto markets are unregulated. I don't think that that's an accurate statement. It may, they may be underregulated, they may be poorly regulated, they may be, there may be ambiguity, but there are like rules out there, right? And, and, and this is where the CFTC becomes a kind of interesting agency. And, the, and one of the sort of foundational questions is when you look at the anti-fraud authority and the anti-manipulation authority, what leeway even assuming for the moment that, we're, that we've cleared up the ambiguities, what does that mean in practice in terms of how the agency would then um, exercise its, its, its authority? Clearly you can go and engage in enforcement or regulation by enforcement, but then there's this question of like, is there something like a soft form of regulation uh, that could be implied through enforcement or the threat of enforcement, right? And that's and that's I think where this sort of second layer of, of questions are are popping up. Great. And that's great to hear your insight too on kind of, you know, how the CFTC would regulate, you know, um, cryptocurrencies and all these different definitions, like to what Catherine was saying, like, you know, looking at it at the actual words themselves versus different ways. And so um, that's really great too to get both of your insight too. And wanted to see Melissa too, if you if you had any thoughts too coming from the CFTC. Yeah, I, I mean, I think what we just highlighted is the complexity around the question asked, right? Um, and, and 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 it's not it's not all cut and dry, and it, and it's not you know, hey, yes, it's this, no, it's not. This person, re this regulator regulates. This one doesn't. This is their power. This isn't. <laughs> um, and and that's you know, imagine you're an innovator creating a product that relates to crypto. How are you supposed to navigate that? How are you supposed to figure out where, what you actually need to abide by and what regulation you should be paying attention to while you're building your product? And, and this is the challenge right now. Um, and so, you know, I agree with, you know, everything that Chris and Catherine have said in the sense that, you know, the three of us have, are, have been very focused on the Commodity Exchange Act, right? The, the laws regarding securities, the uh, Dodd-Frank Act, and most of our careers have been focused on that. I, I keep coming back to what if you're an innovator who has this great idea of relating to crypto? You know, we think it's very complex. Imagine somebody who hasn't been involved in that. And so I, that's the only thing I, I wanted to highlight in, in, um, in that sense. You know, I, I think when it comes down to, I mean, Chris made a reference to um, uh, regulation by enforcement. And, and I think, you know, we've seen a lot of enforcement over the past, I would say, year, especially from the CFTC in the digital asset space. Um, and and I, I think this is something we got to be very careful about, right? I, I don't think regulation by enforcement is the right way. Um, and, and I think that, you know, in, if anything, it, it um, it stops, starts limiting innovation down the road because more people are, are concerned about getting caught up in, in the enforcement stages than thinking outside of the boxes. Um, in, instead, right, um, or I should say on the other hand, right, as somebody who was in the agency at one point, uh, 
you know, when you don't have the tools in your hand to regulate, um, there, there's not much else you can do. That's the only tool in your, in your, in your wheelhouse. Right. And so, you know, until there's better clarity, until there's more like, you know, all of the questions that Chris and Catherine posed in terms of where does this fit and under, is it under here? Is it under there? You know, until there's that actual clarity and, and either legislation or uh, regulation, you know, uh, that's coordinated amongst the agencies, you know, uh, uh, enforcement's unfortunately the, the only tool that will start seeing that clarity come through. Again, not saying it's the right thing, <laughs> but, but, well, when you don't have anything else, right? Uh, there's not much else you can do. That's a great. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, sorry. You go ahead, Chris. No, no. I mean, that's a really interesting point, right? And and uh, I mean, I, all three of us, you know, get all. I mean, I've heard all kinds of questions. Sometimes at the very last minute, from people who are like, "Hey, I'm about to do this and this." And, you know, you're sending randomly in your office, and you get a random phone call, and I'm like, "Dude, I." like can't give you an answer right now because you've just given me 30 seconds worth of a fact pattern in which I don't even know what you're talking about. Um, but, 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 you know, and it's an area where, 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 where things are moving quickly. I, I would say a couple of things um, and, and we'll, we'll get into it. So that trilemma argument that I introduced for those who are really interested, it was a law review article um, that, I, that I did on the financial innovation trilemma. And one of the tools and, you know, that we get to is how do regulators try to navigate this, this challenge, right, with innovation. And we haven't heard very much talk on like sandboxes and innovation and everything, but there are different kinds of strategies that people are trying to, 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 to use. I will say that and I've said, you know, that, that, that enforcement, that enforcement tool um, comes with great, uh, what's that, you know, with great power comes great responsibility and, 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 and uh, equally important, if you use it the wrong way, it will come back to bite you, right? And I, and it'll be interesting how things shape out not just in the immediate term in terms of, you know, what are the enforcement actions that are coming down the pike and what are the wins? But I think that the next generation of litigation is going to be litigation where there isn't a settlement and where people are just gonna take, take agencies to the court, right? Now, in, in, in those uh, circumstances, right, you're not gonna have clarity for years. Right, because it's it'll get sort of hopped around over in courts, and it's going to create lots of uh, uh, ambiguity and 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 different sort of uh, senses of of risk tolerance, both by other regulators as well as um, other market participants. Right, but you know, and this is something that I think people should be, or certainly regulators and regulatory agencies have to think about, especially when thinking about their long-term legacy, depending, but because I, I think that some of this, uh, some of the litigation will probably be make it make or break a company litigation, uh, you can expect it to go as far as it has to go in order for some sense of finality to be reached. And, you know, the higher up you go, the more, you know, challenges a regulatory agency may have in, in the courts especially in terms of a risk of an adverse decision. And an adverse decision 
even you know constitutionally that could impact their own um, uh, ultimate long-term uh, uh, powers, right? And I and I and I think that there's a lot going on that you know in a Twitter-driven internet age where we're just sort of living in these sort of six uh, or, or lawyer six minute billing increments or uh, normal people's six second increments, right? Where we get kind of caught up in the immediacy of these things. But um, there's a much longer term sort of three to six year set of um, developments that are being set into action uh, that, that are very, very big and could have bigger implications for agencies than just crypto, right? And, and you know, query the extent to which that longer term decision-making is being compounded into the strategy of some of the enforcement agencies when they're trying to sort of pick their fights. And, and to, um, and I know to you had mentioned kind of, you know, sandboxes, sandboxes too. And I know, I know that, you know, Ripple, which is a cryptocurrency exchange, um, they've kind of been involved in a lawsuit. I know separately now at the SEC, and I know we're kind of focused on the CFTC here, but kind of wanted to get your guys' take then too on, you know, that Ripple last week, they proposed this framework um, and included in that was, you know, this innovation sandbox. And so, you know, should the CFTC kind of create like the safe harbor regime, which would kind of give these innovators more time to develop their project before being subject to rules? Or what are your guys' thoughts on that too? So um, I, I've always been of the mindset that sandboxes are not um, a, a, a place where, you know, like kids just throw sand at each other, right? Sandboxes are, you know, uh, an environment where you can test and you can try, and yet you still have your teacher there making sure you don't throw sand at each other, right? And um, and so, you know, having that environment, like we just talked about the challenges of an innovator trying to figure out how they fit into a regulatory scheme. You know, I, I, I think, you know, I think as, you know, as somebody who worked at a tech company trying trying to, to do that at one point, right? I think having that environment that's safe to test while you also are working with the regulators to figure out how you fit, um, I think is valuable. I think the challenge though, and then this is somebody, you know, I'm speaking from the point of view of Lab CFTC. Lab CFTC was created um, to be a gateway for innovators at the CFTC, to have the innovators come and talk to them on a regular basis to uh, not only educate the CFTC on the latest innovations and where they're going, but also to, to, to help in terms of, hey, well, uh, what, where should I be looking when it comes to the, this type of a product, right? They can't give, CFTC can't give legal advice. They can't put a stamp of approval on the product, but they could say, hey, you know, this is how the CFTC defines, you know, um, commodities. You know, these are what the roles of the market participants are. I uh, got to figure out who, who, how you fit into that. Um, and I think, you know, uh, and then let me switch to do I think the CFTC should have something like that. I think it's valuable for innovators. I think there's challenges, though. And one of them is that, you know, and I could tell you because I looked at it, the CFTC itself didn't have the authority to create a sandbox. Um, you know, they had the no action letter process and um, and, and that was 
there. Um, but, but that, that was about it. Right. And so that is actually one of the challenges I think amongst the financial regulators here in the U S um, other than in the States, there's not really a regulatory quote unquote sandbox. Um, and, and I think for, if, if we're looking to find a way for innovators to continue to function rapidly uh, at the same time, regulators to adjust to this new and ever changing environment, there has to be something like a sandbox or, uh, to, to enable that. Great, great. And wanted to ask you too, sorry, you had mentioned a no action letter process. Would you mind kind of going through that too and what that was? Sure, yeah. So each agency has a different set of requirements for, for what it is, right? Um, but, but basically, you know, um, as, um, as, as somebody who's going stepping into uh, the environment, let's use an example of, you know, you want to be registered uh, with the CFTC or, or you think you shouldn't, you don't have to be registered with the CFTC, um, you're doing a new product and um, you're able to put in what they call a no action letter request. Um, basically saying, asking, right? That as I'm stepping into this environment, this is how my product is laid out. This is how I don't think I'm triggering any, any of the requirements that you have in front of you. Um, and I'm, I'm requesting that the CFTC say that, you know, you're right, um, you're going down that road and uh, the right road and we're not going to step in. Um, you know, that, that simplifies it. Um, but, but really at the end of the day, it's a very complicated process and it can take a lot of time. Um, once you put in the request with the CFTC, I mean, it, it, it can, it can take a lot of time till it gets to that final step. Um, at the same time, right. It doesn't only mean that you're limited, right. It, should you go outside the letter of the law, right. The letter of the new action letter that you actually get, um, it's not uncommon for the CFTC to call you up and say, hey, you know, you're outside of that. <laughs> you got to come back um, um, or, 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 you know, uh, have an enforcement action against them. Right. And so it's not um, it's not an ideal process for innovators um, like a sandbox would be. Um, but but it is uh, it is a tool that's that's out there. Great. Great. And wanted to, and I just had one more question too for Melissa, um, you know, with working at Lab CFTC and, and directing that, um, what do you think they should be working on right now? Or what should there be, what should their role be in regulating cryptocurrency? And they should, you know, should they be taking the leadership role in your opinion? Should the CFTC be taking a leadership oh, role? Or Lab CFTC, or should yeah. they be taking more of a leadership role? Yeah, so um, Lab CFTC does not have any policy uh, ability, right? Uh, but the, one of the things uh, when I came on board, then Chairman Heath Tarbert elevated it, the office to report directly to the chairman, which is very valuable, right? Because the goal was to sit in senior staff meetings and be there at the table listening to these discussions as regulation was as be, being discussed um, and bringing that innovation into the core processes. Um, uh, you know, that that's one of the roles of the of lab CFTC. And I know that that continues. The second is, you know, 
education itself. Um, when I was there, we did a lot of internal education. Now, granted, you know, pandemic, <laughs> pandemic cre created much of the opportunity for that. But I think that um, Lab CFTC and the people who work there still you know, have this great opportunity to continue to be that person, those people inside the agency to, to, to sit at the table to explain the underlying technology so that, you know, when an innovator comes forward trying to fi figure out how they fit into a regulatory box, they can be there with their, their colleagues across the team, across the CFTC team, and try to help them understand how that technology does fit in that box. Um, I know, you know, listen, acting chairman Benham, um, you know, is definitely somebody we heard in his testimony during the confirmation hearing, right? Somebody who um, sees, sees the role of digital assets under his jurisdiction. I know that, you know, he, he sees lab CTC as something that, you know, is um, helps in terms of educating uh, within the team, within the whole CFTC team. And I, and I, I would hope that that continues. Great, great. And it's great too that you mentioned too, Benham, because I, I wanted to ask as well, you know, during that, and I think during the nomination hearing too, that you would, you had mentioned Melissa, um, he had said too that he wants to maybe have more authority for the CFTC when regulating cryptocurrencies and, and just wanted to see, you know, does Congress, should Congress, I guess, give the CFTC more authority? And what would that authority sort of look like in your guys' opinion too? Uh, uh, Catherine asks. Uh, I'm I'm curious to see. Well, I I think I think Commissioner Stump has sort of outlined maybe what those additional authorities could be like. So in her uh, concurrence to the Tether decision, um, she agreed that there appeared to be uh, material misrepresentations made by the issuer, which are a problem, clearly, um, but. Uh, one of her criticisms, and I, I share that criticism, is that it, Tether, it doesn't, the decision does not, it just fined Tether $40 million, $42 million for making these misrepresentations about where the money was that was backing its stablecoin. I think in a well-regulated financial service, if someone is holding about a billion dollars of customers' money, a well-regulated system would uh, involve some authority telling uh, an issuer who's going to hold a billion dollars or more of, of customers' money, maybe how they should hold it and how uh, you know, there should be checks and balances to make sure it doesn't go missing. Um, can it just be held by you know, the loan shark down the street? Probably that's not a great idea. Um, maybe it shouldn't be held in certain offshore locations. Uh, maybe it should be held at an FDIC insured institution. Um, maybe there should be regular audits. Like, uh, I think that's the kind of regulation that if any agency is going to uh, regulate stable coins should be looking at. And then, and there are loads of policy issues, right, around fractional banking, if someone's just holding a billion dollars and not doing anything with it, is that gonna reduce credit because banks play an important role in running fractional banking um, operations? They take your money in and they loan it out. That helps stimulate the economy. It's like, in, it's a wonderful life, right? Where's the money? It's in Aunt Susie's uh, mortgage, right? So I don't know, that's, that's sort of a, a quick reaction for me. I'm interested in what Melissa and Chris think. 
Well, I, I just want to riff off of that first um, observation. And, and I, I had to testify a couple of times over on Congress about this, this, the disclosure issue. I think all too often, even when they're talking about the turf war, um, and let's let's assume for the moment that there is one, although that may be a little bit over overhyped in some ways. But 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 you know uh, you know designating an instrument, de designating a digital asset as a security or as a commodity doesn't like solve all your problems. I mean, it doesn't even really begin to solve your, all, all your problems in, in part for the reason that Melissa sort of brought up initially. I mean, you know, our rules for most of our, you know, when you think about the 33 and the 34 Act, I mean, you know, the, the basic disclosure rules using the example that um, Catherine just, just gave for, for, for disclosure, you know, our disclosure rules are based off of assumptions of industrial companies, you know, uh, at, during, <laughs> Uh, in the 1930s, right? So, you know, think of like a Ford Motor Company looking to go, you know, mid, you know, in a certain later stage of its economic development, looking for capital and, and, and well, okay, well, what kinds of disclosure mechanisms would you expect for a company with a board of directors, you know, making certain kinds of, of, of uh, uh, decisions using other people's money, right? That's, that's kind of like the 33 Act, 34 Act, um, uh, sort of, let's call it, uh, conceptual assumptions uh, for 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 registration and then subsequent um, disclosure rules. You know, here if you're talking about a digital asset, you know, much less a decentralized digital asset where governance is in itself something entirely different from governance of a corporation or of a firm, where you know you're not really asking about you know your board of directors or who your CEO is. Which, what you're really looking for is is saying, well, what kind of consensus mechanism are you using? You know, what does your technology look like? You know, who are your validators? I mean, like all it, but nothing that maps onto you know your or very few things that are going to map onto uh, you know Reg SK and securities law land, right? You know, in, in terms of what what are your kinds of items that need to be disclosed when you're when you're uh, in, in certain kinds of uh, required documents. And, you know, it, it really is getting back to this question about the heat of the moment, you know, with, with all this stuff and, you know, Twitter based uh, sort of policy, which is, you know, which is highly problematic, is, is that it creates this sort of false impression that, you know, these are problems that, you know, I mean, the, the problems themselves become memes. Right. You know, it's just like security or regulation or, you know, security or commodity or something. Right. As if as if that really solves the problem that that no matter how you carve up the instrument and regardless as to whether, you know, under whose jurisdiction you're placing this stuff, there's going to have to be a serious revisiting of the rules just in order to make them logical and effective, given the infrastructure, given the design of the financial asset you're talking about. I mean, like literally, I mean, e even in order to achieve the mandate and the, even if we're gonna forget innovation, forget the issuers, forget the, all, all the, you know, techno kids, if, if it's just a basis of pursuing your own old school mandate, you have to do that. And, and, and that's not something um, that is going to, be, to happen quickly uh, uh, if, and this is where I think personnel does matter, you know, like, like the, enforcement is one tool, Sandboxes are a tool. Uh, culture within an agency is is a tool, 
right? Because you have to figure out things and you have to be creative or you have to be curious enough and hardworking enough to actually, you know, do your job and to figure it out. Um, and, and, you know, uh, despite whatever political pressures may be arising, regardless as to the, the source of, 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 of those pressures. And, and you know, I, I, I think that that's going to be hard. Um, you know, serious policymaking is, all, is, is hard generally, but when you get into things that are inherently complex, it becomes even tougher, right? And I think that for many of the people who are watching, whether or not they be regulators or whether or not they be founders or innovators or policymakers or hill staffers or whoever you, you may be, like part of the uh, unfortunate work that's gonna lie ahead for, for many of us is sort of understanding that what does the second best solution look like, right? And you know that that is a very uh, un unfortunate thing, but it is something that has to be kept in mind. And there's a kind of parallel tracking. You know, number one, to push for a serious solution that's not being memified <laughs> by 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 either side, and then also thinking, okay, until then, what's the stop gap measure? Right, and that's a really good point. It makes you kind of wonder too, with investors, maybe even to retail investors looking at this and looking at some of the complications that too come with regulating this space. Um, you know, it's definitely very complex too. And I want to make sure I get to to some um, audience questions. Someone had asked too, as an anonymous user though from from Slido, um, they had asked, is it more efficient for different regulators to regulate the different facets of cryptocurrencies, or should just one take the lead? And kind of wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that too. Come on, Melissa, you were there. <laughs> Singling her out. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it all comes down to, I, I come back to, I think you have to define, you know, one of the challenges here in the U.S. is there are so many regulators, right? And creating another regulator isn't going to solve any problems. I think what we have to be thinking about is how do you define the crypto and where does it fit? And then you have to make sure there is strong coordination amongst the, the regulators. Um, you know, when I was there, we worked very closely with the SEC. I, I agree with Chris. You know, I think there's a, you know, the, the turf battle <laughs> is something that plays out a little bit more in the press than it did behind the scenes. Um, uh, it, because I, you know, I worked very closely with my counterparts at the SEC and, and they worked closely with others across the agency. And so, um, I, but I, I do think that that, coordination has to be key um, because, you know, if one agency comes out with some advice, uh, it, it is really hard for other agencies to quickly catch up without that coordination. I, I think, I think that there's, you know, when you think about consolidation, I mean, like, so you have a different spectrum of, the, of ideas that you hear bandied about, right? You know, some people are saying you need a new regulator. Some people are saying you need a consolidated regulator, right? Some people say, hey, you know, we're just fine as we are, right? And, you know, and then you see the administration putting out the PWG report, right? Which says, okay, let's, let's go kick some of the stuff to Congress. And then, you know, no one's happy, you know, um, but, but, but what's, what's, you know, with, again, this threat of, of FSOC sort of hanging in the balance, right? And, I, and what I find interesting is that sometimes even people who are criticizing each other, they're actually not just talking past one another, but actually they kind of kind of sort of agree with each other, but they just don't understand that they agree with each other in certain kinds of ways. So for, you know, like it's, it's, it's almost humorous at, at times, right? Because a lot of people are saying, oh, it's like how, how, how 
um, you know, far-fetched is it, you know, to have a single regulator of crypto that'll never happen, that'll never happen. But then there is this FSOC thing hanging around in the background, right? You know, which is though maybe not a consolidated regulatory regime does sort of point to this direction, right? That if all else fails, you know, we're going to take some kind of executive decision, right? And like, and no one really sort of thinks again, you know, everyone's sort of looking at their immediate argument in terms of the, the overall flavor of, of, of their position. And um, uh, you're, you're never going to look for all kinds of political reasons. You're never going to, you know, look, our regulatory system is the product itself of compromise, you know, compromise in Congress and compromises that have been made over several generations. And, and it's hard to think that there's going to be a, a radical rethink in the absence of, unfortunately, like, a, a you know, we're, sometimes we're more crisis driven when it comes to restructuring um, um, agencies. Um, but but I, I, I do think that uh, uh, one of the questions is going to be, you know, what does coordination look like? Um, even if you had a unitary regulator, and, you know, this is something that, that I think people maybe don't give as much props even to the PWG report, even though they don't go out and they say it explicitly, you know, some of these issues, whether or not you're talking about stable coins and a lot of the financial innovation, just, just more generally, there are a lot of different um, trade-offs involved, trade-offs that I sort of began the talk with, right? So yeah, you may have certain kinds of questions say, um, and re relating to market integrity or systemic risk, but there are also other kinds of questions about financial inclusion and opportunity, right? That are also sort of bubbling up, you know, particularly in a world where the legacy financial system hasn't always served everyone really well, right? Um, and, and, and so that, that confluence of sort of multiple policy objection, uh, objectives in a perfect world, of course, would seem to point, well, that's, that's where legislators are supposed to step in, right? Because they can go and balance between their different committees and, and, and like all these different kinds of policy goals. Um, and they have much broader consideration of a broader slate of policy goals than a financial regulator with a very narrow sort of mandate, right? So, so that's, that's the philosophy of these, of these things. Um, again, you know, we're, we're in a world where, where that kind of thing is a little bit challenging to say the very least. And, and, and that's why, again, and, and the regulators are facing their own sort of um, uh, uh, realities, regulatory realities, legal realities, and political realities. And so again, for all the stakeholders, a, a critical component of the work is going to be what's going to be the stop gap measure. And then what's, what's going to be that end game. Great. Great. And that's really good to kind of get that insight to on what they'll be doing next and everything too. And wanted to get, you know, Catherine's your, your response to this too of, you know, should there be multiple regulators kind of looking at this? Should there be one regulator? Should there be a whole new one? Or what are your thoughts on this too? Um, I, I'd be loath to suggest the U.S. needs another regulator. I think we, <laughs> it's a pretty crowded field we've got here when you you know, you go to, to Europe and you go to the UK, you've got the uh, Bank of England and you've got the FCA and that's what you got. Um, I, I, I do like the question though, because I think the question is, um, should different regulators regulate different parts of the cryptocurrency um, marketplace? And I think that does go back to, to the fundamental principles of both the SEC and the CFTC. 
right? Because the CFTC oversees uh, um, commodity derivatives markets that have forever been seen as really arm's length markets. You don't really have a duty to disclose to someone else that um, you happen to know that the Exxon refinery in somewhere in Texas is down and that price of gas is going to go up when you buy and you go long unleaded gas futures. In the securities market, it's all about something different. It's about the sale, the issuance and sale of securities where there are by definition fiduciary duties surrounding the whole everything from the issuance to the sale um, to what's made public, when you have to make stuff public. Um, and so to the extent that a particular digital asset is more likely to, you know, it, its integrity in the market for it, it would be more uh, safe and sound because it would fit well within a disclosure regime like what the SEC has. In a perfect world, maybe that's where the regulation should come from. If it's more something like a commodity or commodity derivative, maybe that's something that the CFTC should oversee. Uh, and the more it's like a banking product, which maybe a stable coin is, I don't know, maybe that should be regulated by one of the banking agencies. So I, I think that concept is a good one. It would just, I think what the marketplace really needs and all these innovators that, that Melissa is talking about, and I, they're constantly banging on my door as well, is if we just have a roadmap to where those boundaries are, um, I think that'd be really helpful. That's great too. And, and you're kind of saying too, we don't need like a, a whole new regulator to come in, but too, just kind of looking at all the ones that we have now and where that would sort of fit then too is, is really, really great insight. Um, and I'm just looking too at the other questions too that we had come in. There's one question for you, Chris. Um, there's someone, uh, Gary from Slido was asking, what evidence is there that the regulators themselves are weighing, you know, the trilemma that you talked about, you know, before, um, the trilemma that you described, you know, what evidence is there that regulators themselves are weighing that? Well, I'm delighted that the chairman is watching. Uh, 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 it's like, well, Gary, uh, um, you know, it, it, it's, 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 uh, I think that uh, that's an extremely important question, right? And I'm saying that because I spent about an hour and a half today in, in sort of deep thought, uh, you know, think, thinking about the question of financial inclusion. Right. And I was thinking about it uh, because whether or not you're looking at digital assets, where you're looking at a range of different sort of financial innovation and, and, and different kinds of tools, there's this entirely different sort of set of policy considerations that market regulators are not accustomed to dealing with. Banking regulators a little bit more, right? Like when you get into the OCC, you have something called the Community Reinvestment Act. You have a little bit more on, on, on the banking side. But, you know, financial inclusion is not one of the mandates of the SEC. It's not one of the mandates of the uh, CFTC, right? And, you know, when you start talking about inclusion and innovation, uh, you know, because a lot of the innovation, that's, that's you know, when you talk about democratizing finance, on one end of the spectrum, it's it's a little bit of hyperbole, but then there's this core, this really interesting set of questions that are raised because you are expanding um, uh, participation in certain kinds of markets. I mean, one of the issues with the CFTC is, what do I do with this market that's as much a retail market, particularly when you get into like Bitcoin related things, as it is a sort of institutional market? Like, like you know, what, what am I supposed to do with this as the CFTC, as an entity 
that's 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 much more accustomed to sort of institutional players and therefore regulatory design and strategy that's premised upon institutional players. And and you know, I I I do believe that um, you know the the agencies it you know who matter you know who's at the top matters. Mm -hmm. They 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 set the tone for the agency. Um, different leaders inspire the staff, whether or not it be in terms of innovation or or other things, in terms of empower, sort of empower, uh, empowering or inspire their staff um, to use their expertise. You know, they've been around agencies a little bit longer than the political appointees. And, you know, uh, that can wane and wax as time goes by, you know, and, and so it's not I think we might have lost you. I think you might be on mute. Sorry, Chris. Oh, I think we might have lost Chris for a second too, but wanted to see though too um, from Melissa and Catherine, um, you know, kind of going back to that question too. And I know Chris mentioned the trifecta. Oh, right. I uh, yeah, I, I apologize. It, 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 it popped out and I had to get my, my stuff. But, but I think it, it, it wanes and waxes uh, as, as, as time goes by. And um, as a result, uh, you know, it, it's it's it it you don't always see the kind of engagement as one would would expect. Got it. That's great too. And it's good that you mentioned too financial inclusion with this. I think that's that's really an interesting point too. And um, maybe this might be our last question, but I just I just kind of had a, a thought too. How should you know with with kind of knowing you know we've talked a lot about the complexities that come with this and how to regulate it. But how should retail investors kind of be looking at this too? Now, you know, we have these Bitcoin futures ETFs that have come out, um, you know, how should, how should retail investors be, be kind of looking at some of these complexities and what should, they, what should they be kind of keeping in mind too from your guys' perspective? Well, I, I mean, I think, I think with any investment, no matter if it's a crypto investment or not, right? Uh, Retail investors have to be looking at what is the what is the underlying investment, and then the the entities that are offering these types of investments have to um, you know have to be completely transparent, right, and clear about what what the investors are getting uh, when they when they invest in these products. Um, I would I would recommend if if somebody is interested in buying crypto, whether it's the ETF or crypto directly, that that you do your research um, and and figure out what it is that that you want to invest in. The other piece I would caution you on is, you know, um, it's, it, this isn't a, let me jump in and make money quickly type of thing. Like there's a lot of market, um, market volatility in, in, in crypto and, and it's a, it's a longer game than just, let me just jump in and, and, and flip it tomorrow. Um, and so I, I would say like, do your research, uh, recognize why you're getting into what you're doing, what you're getting into in the crypto world, and just like any other investment that you would invest in in the, in the, in the markets. Great, great. That's good to have too. And wanted to see too if Catherine, if you had any thoughts too. And and Chris, I just asked too, kind of what you know, how should retail investors be looking at this? Just because there's so many complexities, and I could not imagine too kind of being a retail investor in this space and kind of looking at at how this is regulated. But want to see Catherine or Chris if you had any thoughts too. I, I would just caution retail to be um, very, very careful not to invest anything that you couldn't lose the entirety of. Um, 
understand maybe what the, what is the use case for uh, a particular cryptocurrency and will that help it maintain value? Because remember these cryptocurrencies for the most part are not backed by anything. Um, and so it, its value, I suppose, would depend on its use case. And, um, and, 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 but unfortunately, I think a lot of the value action is based on momentum and emotion and, um, you know, future expectations that may or may not be uh, well supported. Great. Yeah, you should definitely be, be you know, uh, you know will, willing to, as with any investment, by the way, right? You know, you should be willing to and understand that you can lose your money, you know, uh, and, and, you know, in this, in that regard, it's no different from, you know, investing in certain, uh, investing in stocks, investing, you know, house flipping, you know, I, I think that investing in, in general, you know, people should understand that there's risk. Now, now that's not to say, you, you know, look, but by definition, you know, risk, life involves risk, right? But the question is, is is your risk informed risk taking, right? Or or is it um, not? And, and and can you afford, obviously, to, to lose? But, uh, you know, I, I think throughout either cryptocurrencies or financial innovation or whatever, uh, you know, there's a, there are a lot of things happening um, that are going to be very transformative. We'll see how they shake out. Um, uh, uh, I, I've always been, and there's a much longer sort of issue. And again, the reason why I was thinking about financial inclusion has to do with historically the underinvestment in, in stock markets from people of color, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm very well aware that, you know, sometimes you can have this very weird outcome where well-intentioned policies actually end up exacerbating uh, uh, wealth gaps and, 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 and inequality. So, you know, it's like risk by itself is just that risk. It's a question of how, how you navigate that risk and, 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 uh, you know, the policies that are in place and the practices to make sure that those risks are as, as informed as, as possible. And I think that's a really good point to end on too. And I, I really appreciate your guys' time with this. And it was so great, you know, really getting your insight on kind of what's going next, what the CFTC can do and, and, and really great grading your thoughts. And I'll turn it now over to, to Jennifer. Yeah, great big thank you to our fantastic panel. I, I certainly learned a lot from that discussion. Proves to me there's always something new to learn about the Commodities Exchange Act. And I enjoyed myself too. Uh, another big thank you to our audience. We hope that you'll join us next week as we continue this discussion about how to regulate crypto. Next week on December 2nd, Thursday at 1 p.m., we'll be talking about banking regulators and crypto. The details will be available on Cato's website shortly. Um, thanks again and have a great holiday this week all.